Hi, I'm Britton LaRue, and this is Moon to Moon. Moon to Moon is a space to consider, celebrate, and share the ways we come home to ourselves, anchor through change, and uncover our power. One month, one phase, one loving step at a time. Dear Moon to Moon listener, it is my honor to share with you today this beautiful, rich, complex conversation that I had with my friend and student, Nick Kepley. So let me begin by reading Nick's bio in case you're not familiar with Nick's work. Nick Kepley is a queer, non-binary tarot reader, writer, teacher, and anarchist who believes in the power of words and their complete inability to describe reality. They are the co-creator of the In Search of Tarot guided journal collection and the creator and co-host of the In Search of Tarot podcast. In addition to offering readings, Nick teaches tarot extensively throughout the year. They are currently curating Meet Me at the Margin, a month-long virtual conference for queer people who want to reclaim and restory their innate capacity for ambiguity, paradox, and liminality, which will run June 4 through 28, 2023. You can learn more about all of Nick's offerings by visiting manofthecards.com or by following them on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Thank you for that wonderful bio, Nick. I'm going to have all of the links that you're going to need for things that you hear about in this conversation in the show notes. I want to share, too, that Nick is a Leo rising with Sun in the third house in Libra, conjunct Mercury, with Moon in Aquarius in the seventh house, conjunct Jupiter. So I invited Nick to come on Moon to Moon when I saw that Nick had shared an Instagram about the conference that they're creating and hosting and facilitating Meet Me at the Margin. I got really, really excited by the title of this just because the word margin in itself has always been very alive for me as a space of possibility um, for a very long time. Um, Going back to master's degree program, I've been exploring the way artists navigate marginality and liminality in many different ways and many different media for exploring liberation, pleasure, and disruption. 
And I've been enjoying, as I sh- we talk about it in the conversation, having Nick in astrology as praxis, where Nick regularly brings in liminality and marginality edges as language to help us access the unlanguageable and the mysterious and the ambiguous as we long to be connected to the cosmic body through the language of astrology. So this conference is going to be across June and I'm inviting moon to moon listeners to check out this conference. It feels so perfect to kick off in Gemini season. Of course, it will also be happening across Pride Month. There's something about the Gemini spirit of um, binary disruption, definition disruption, non-linearity, the breaking of clear definitions, the refusal of sharp boundaries that feels just so nourishing, so needed, so liberating, so loving to have right now. So dear listeners, I'm inviting you into a rich, rich, rich conversation. And I'm really encouraging you to go to the show notes so that you can learn about Nick, so that you can learn about Meet Me at the Margin. And I'm even going to include a place for you to donate to support tuition so that those that want to make it to this conference that don't have um, the capacity right now financially can be supported. So I would love for Moon to Moon listeners to to participate in this conference and also to support this conference if you feel called to. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick, for giving your energy and your time to Moon to Moon. Thank you for being in my spaces. I really, really, really love talking to you. And I'm thanking you for giving so much of your passion, so much of yourself to what I think is going to be a glorious, delightful, and super impactful experience. Thank you. Welcome to Moon to Moon, Nick. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I've gotten to know you through Astrology as Praxis since September 2022. Yeah, I have to say it's you you pulled up the chart, my chart before we started, and it's pretty cool to like gaze at that as I talk with you. I don't think I've ever done that before. So it's kind of nice. Like it feels um, comforting, actually, you know. (laughs) This other part of you is in the room with us. Yes, yes. It's a three-way conversation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've really loved having you in the space. And I feel like you're such a rich question asker. 
I really feel you wanting to grapple with some of the deep questions of astrology and want to be in relationship with astrology with integrity and in a way that feels good for you. And that I find very inspiring and I love having it in the space. So thank you for being with us, saying yes to that. Well, thank you. I mean, and thank you for creating a space where it's safe to do that. Um, it's also funny that you should say that it's a three-way conversation because that's actually something that I thought a lot about um, before I came on with you today is that I really wanted to create something new with you today that isn't all you or all me, you know, but is a third thing. Um, and third things are very important to me in my work um, as a queer person. And yeah, so I like that you said it's a three-way conversation. Mm, yes. Yeah, I um, I vote, I love, love, love every time you post um, about the third as a, as a magical word, as a magical um, possibility space. It's always felt like that for me too. And um, I think that's what talks to me so much about your work and about your upcoming conference. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, magic is like, is a third thing between the, the reader, the current, and then some other energy that's making something else happen. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think that this uh, subtitle that you have for your upcoming conference, um, Meet Me at the Margin, uh, Restoring Queerness Through a Mystical Lens. I feel like mystical spaces and mystical openings are such um, rich zones for like a third or a different energy to come in that breaks up um, what feels like a stale a stalemate between possibilities that don't fit us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this idea of like a rupture has been very Oof. important to me in the past few months. Um, and it's been really interesting, I have to say, to be studying with you and Jonathan astrology and then with Leah Garza, who came in and, you know, spoke with us um, in Leah's Living Systems course, because in some ways they feel like diametrically opposed to each other. Um, at least for me, it's felt very, it did feel very hard to like hold the two simultaneously, you know, because astrology, even though today and the way that we talk about it in astrology as praxis is very, you know, open to interpretation, it does harken back to a very established like system um, with some very deeply entrenched, you know, archetypes, the same way as tarot, which has been a lot of my, my journey and my work with tarot as well. Um, and so then to be in Living Systems, which is a course on decolonialism, which is sort of like the opposite of that, you know, is really saying like, we don't exist, like there is no human, there is no body, there is no, you know, system or archetype or, you know, like, um, so at the start of this year, when I started in living systems, I really went through like a, a solid month at least of just like feeling really lost in the soup of all of that, you know? And finally I turned this corner where I realized like, I think that's actually 
what I'm looking for. And again, like I really connected that to my queerness. And I was like, you know, if I want to live in the space of the margin, which I can explain what I mean when I talk about the margin, but um, that that's what it is to live on the margin is to be in that lost liminal fluctuate ever fluctuating space which is uncomfortable you know like that's not an Mm -hmm. easy place to be in always but you know this month we're studying um alchemy and astrology as praxis and I'm thinking a lot about that you know in the midst of alchemy of that alchemical process and maybe not reaching for like the conclusion of that process or like making that process linear but just kind of actually shifting that focus to be like, actually what I, what I desire to be is in the midst of it, like at all times, like I desire to, to, um, melt and, you know, lose myself always. And that's a lot to ask of myself as well. So holding myself with grace as I attempt that, you know, but I do think that right now I'm very interested in not, um, coming into form, as much as I can, you know, to being formless <laughs> as much as possible. <laughs> oh my God, that just tickles me so much. <laughs> just not coming into form. How about yeah. that? <laughs> but how uncomfortable too. Yeah, embracing all of it in the midst of it. You said the desire to be in the midst of it. Mm. Thank you. We just dove right in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask you because I don't think I know um, what, what brought you into astrology? Like, how did you start feeling into weaving astrology into your own mystical practices? Yeah. I mean, I think when you work with tarot, you naturally, you know, are astrology adjacent at least. Um, And, you know, I have several decks that like show the astrological correspondences and, you know, I'm someone who I, I believe that if you're going to work with a system for tarot, that you should know the history of that system, which I don't believe is always taught completely transparently or just taught at all. Sometimes, you know, that it's sort of just, sometimes it's, feels like this is just how you read tarot but you know those correspondences they come from a certain place and time and history and the tarot actually dates much further back than where those come from um so there's nothing wrong with working with that system it's just about you know do you know where that comes from and do you feel at home and at peace with that lineage and that history um so for the those golden dawn you know astrological correspondences um I think it naturally just made me curious to know more. And also, you know, I live in 2023 when terror astrology is everywhere, you know, so um, just curious to like know more um, and see how it, you know, impacts my life. I mean, I've always been a big spiritual seeker. Um, and so just kind of curious about how astrology, you know, would fit in with all of that. Mm-hmm. And has it rolled in in ways that you anticipated? Has it been, what, like, how has your, this dive felt? Um, it's been interesting to have already gone through tarot first, I think, because this time now coming into astrology, it's like I knew 
what questions I wanted to ask a little bit more ahead of time. You know, like with tarot, I came in blind and clueless and over time started to question the system or the way that I was working with tarot or the way I'd been taught to work with tarot. And now coming into astrology, it was like, okay, now I kind of already know um, the red flags for me or like the things that I want to like investigate. Um, so, you know, I will be honest and say that I, I find it a little disappointing to see so much of the same things that bother me in tarot in astrology, um, just in general, um, mm. you know, and it's just human. I mean, we're just humans. So like, you know, we create the same problems everywhere we go. I mean, like, it's not, you know, I think we'd like to believe that as mystical people, we like are above that or something, but like, we just create the same issues everywhere, you know? And so like, I think a lot of people that maybe leave um, like organized religion, for instance, and, and move into, you know, more magical space often just kind of recreate those same structural problems, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so so that was that ha that is a little disappointing and at times has actually I, I've actually felt a little bit just kind of fatigued by that and just kind of like I already did this once with tarot I don't know if I can do it again with yes. this you know <laughs> yeah yes and uh has it is it sort of the nature of the soup so to speak to to use your word from earlier um like turns out everywhere we go there we are <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. Um, and I have encountered lately some new ways of kind of looking at that of ways uh, that feel more like play. I mean, for instance, Ari Felix, uh, astrologer who came on my podcast, um, in my I interview. love, love, love Ari Felix. <laughs> yeah. And, and in my interview with them, they, they were kind of using they would use binary language and then they would say just to play with that for a second, you know, and like, I appreciated that approach. Um, it felt like another way of acknowledging the um, inventedness of all of it. That wasn't just critiquing it, but that was like kind of turning it on its head and being like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to even give this enough seriousness to critique it. Like, I'm just going to like play with this and mess with this, you know? So like mm -hmm. that, that felt like a, it felt like another good approach, you know? Um, and yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it, it is part of the soup because like we live in it. You can't act as if, I mean, in, in a way like it is the binary, like is real in that it is pervasive, you know, like it's out there, it's everywhere. It's like money, you know, money isn't quote unquote real, but it's, it's in our world, you know, like we, we work with it. Um, so you can't just like totally ignore it. Um, you're forced to confront it every single day. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it is part of the soup. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're calling in, I'm calling in, I know you are ways to play and experiment with it that where we catch ourselves in the game and like awaken to the game so that we're not snagged or owned by the game as much. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, how did the tarot find its way into your life? So tarot originally was, um, I was in a show at the time and 
a little bored of the repetition of that and just kind of looking for new hobbies and things. And there's a place, there was a place, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a place in New York called the Open Center that was just kind of like a, a spiritual, um, you know, place where you could take all kinds of different classes and workshops. And tarot was one of them. Um, and I just signed up, you know, I was like, that'll be fun. And I got, I was very into it. Like I really enjoyed it. I think I really enjoyed the, it was much more like historical than I expected the way it was uh, Robert in place who taught that. And I didn't realize what a big deal, you know, he was at the time or how influential, you know, he has been, but um, he taught it very much like a, like an art history class kind of, you know, and so I was very into it. And of anything in my life, that's the only thing that my mom has totally freaked out about. Um, at the time I was in an abusive relationship and I think she kind of thought that it was the bad influence of that person on me. You know, I was raised um, Southern Baptist in North Carolina um, and there's a lot of stigma about tarot and she doesn't care that I'm gay. She doesn't care that I'm a dancer, but she really did not like that I was working with tarot. Um, and I knew that I was confused too, because I was in this bad relationship. So I, I kind of was like, maybe that's true. Like maybe I'm lost, you know, in the midst of this, whatever. So I put it away for probably about five or six years. And then, and then interestingly at my Saturn return, um, I, went through this, well, I guess it was about 10 years. And I, and I went through the Saturn return and, um, I was like, I have to figure this out. I was, you know, string after string of terrible relationship. I've got to figure out like how to deal with my daddy issues, you know, all this. And, um, I came across King warrior magician lover, which is a Jungian influenced, um, kind of masculine mythopoetics text. It's, um, I also read iron John, I like went down that whole masculine mythopoetics like rabbit hole. And um, that book, King Warrior Magician Lover, recommends that you find images of the archetype that you are least strong in. So for me, that was mm. king. There's like this test that you take. And I was like, so I went to the Met actually and was looking for images of kings. And then I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, tarot. Like tarot it has lots of kings, you know? So I pulled the deck back out and started to kind of slowly work with it again in that way. Um, and then quickly departed from that, like masculine mythopoetics and just kind of kept working with, with tarot and just haven't stopped since then. Mm-hmm. This uh, is good for your Leo rising. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I would> say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so then how long before you started offering readings? Um, it was at least like two years, you know, and I started just with friends. Um, and then it really was during the pandemic. It re really was 2020 when I started to like, uh, kind of go more public, um, and, and offer them just, you know, in general for the public. Um, yeah. And that's when you started in search of tarot. Yes, that's also when, yes. And the podcast was very different. And those early episodes are very much influenced by that, that Jungian track that I was on that I no longer ascribe to, like in the least. Um, I, I left them up because I wanted to show the evolution in my thinking rather than just like hide it away. Um, but honestly, I cringe at the, <laughs> I, I cringe at those texts now. I mean, I, I cringe at them. Um, but I also think that 
I've, I've talked about this before on another podcast. Like, I, I think that there's just another way I could have gone about it because for someone's people have asked me like, well, do you think that you needed to go through that? Like, is there, is it necessary to like go through this threshold of like binary thinking in order to like go beyond it? And I don't think so. I think, I think if I'd found another route first, it would just would have been different, you know, like that way of thinking did help me for sure. I mean, my Saturn return was incredibly pivotal and and very healing and important, but I think there just could have been another way that I could have gone about it if that had come first, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Th- I do grapple myself with um, having compassion for your, the work of your younger self, you know, mm-hmm. and, and trusting that that was the unfolding that happened. And so it is also beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, so, I'm like very obsessed too, with this idea of younger self and future self and like playing with that. Um, I had a, um, a past life regression experience, like with a, a friend of mine leads past life regressions and, I had the most powerful experience with my younger self. And at the end, um, I like gave it this hug. I gave, I gave them a hug. And I, in that moment, I was like, I think that the me now is what helps the me then like survive, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and who's to say it wasn't, you know, and like, and so then, so now I love playing with, like, if I'm going through a really hard time, a lot of times I'll, I'll kind of say, you know, okay, if there's a future me that makes it through this, will you please like, give me a hug right now? Like give me now the hug, you know, and help me know that I will get through this, you know, because, and I like to leave space for like, maybe there isn't, maybe, maybe I die, maybe, you know, like whatever, but like, if there is a me that makes it like, can you please help me now? You know? I love that so much. Yeah. I, um, wrote the dedication to the book that's coming out that I'm right I wrote next year to my younger self who to me inspires me because she put me on this timeline um when she didn't know what the hell she was doing and then uh to my older self who I think of as like a mentor who will like figure out what I today have no idea how to deal with um Mm -hmm. I, I do find that very empowering to do past self, uh, future self. Yeah. Thank you for mm-hmm. telling that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually it's funny, this, that brings in the triangle again, that brings in the three things, you know, past, present, future. And, yes. and um, you know, I knew that you were thinking about Gemini season with this episode. And I was looking back at this, this amazing book that I read recently, it's called the shape of sex by Leah Devon. And she writes about um, the hermaphrodite, which now we, you know, that's not a term that we use anymore, but she's talking about like the medieval concept of the hermaphrodite and the sort of Greek um, legend with that. And um, the figure of Janus, um, which uh, I don't really know much about, but I do find interesting. It was a sort of a threshold figure and depicted with two heads. Um, And so Janus was like, you know, always on that threshold place of like future past, you know, looking forward and looking back. Um, and the sort of trans experience or the this hermaphrodite figure as being in the middle of that. Um, and also a very alchemical figure in that way of mm-hmm. um, not one or the other, but but like 
but both, but I think I really, it's important to clarify, like, I think sometimes when we say not one or the other, but both, we, um, we still like hold on to this idea that it's like almost like a oil and water fusion of both, where it's like both are still maintaining complete like independence, but they're just together, but it's, it's something different. Like it's not one or the other. It's both, it's both. And it's like, it's a new thing. It's not, it's not a, just a combination of two. It's something completely new, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's making me think about, um, thinking about Mercury that the like Herms, like literal Herms, they were called like Hermes, um, were set at boundaries. They were in the ancient world, boundary markers between places. And one would throw or rub on these Herms or give, give like, um, offerings for safe Mm. travels as you crossed thresholds and went around and over between through boundaries to Mm. in your travels. I love that. So I like, I like to think about Herms as, um, having this kind of magical power of helping us in threshold spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, I had a very powerful experience with, um, the idea of boundaries and Saturn, um, with the ingress, you know, that Mm -hmm. happened earlier in the year. And I was driving and I was thinking about this idea of boundaries and Saturn. And I was, I pictured like a field, um, and then there's like a fence, you know, in the field. And like, so maybe that fence is like the boundary that's separating one side of the field from the other. And then I was like, well, actually the fence itself is also a location, you know, is a third location. Um, and so sometimes like, I think boundaries feel like they separate or like push apart or, or even just, um, they just disconnect two things. Like they don't have their own, like their only function is just to like separate, but it's interesting to me to think about the boundary as a creative location, like of its own, you know, like what happens at the boundary site um, and what, what new things happen there that don't happen in the other places that it's separating, you know, mm-hmm. of not belonging to either what's on either side. Right. Right. What can happen when you don't belong to either. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that really brings us to the, the margin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. remember earlier in astrology as practice, you sharing that you were obsessed with thinking about edges at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if there, for you, if there's like an origin to, um, to what's coming up for you at this conference, like through words and through the idea space around margins and edges. Yeah. So bringing it back to the, that masculine mythopoetics thing. So, you know, two years ago, I guess now, um, I was, uh, really thinking about that and questioning that and, and kind of critiquing that. And, um, it started to really bother me that queerness oftentimes is only like the definition of queering something is to kind of like change it. And so therefore it's dependent on the thing you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I was like, and so with mythology, like it really bothers me how in mythology, um, that queer people are often told 
you know, well, you can just change it. Like you can just queer it, just like make it your own. But it's like, well, yeah, but the main story that's constantly, constantly pushed and told is the like centered narrative of this like, you know, heteronormative like mythology. And and there are there are some characters that we can find, but oftentimes they are kind of side characters or or they're just like retellings or, you know, queerings of these like heteronormative, you know, models. And so I just was like, is it even possible to like, to to have an a, a experience of what it is to be queer without relying on a response to heteronormative normativity, you know? And um, so I was living in Milwaukee at the time, which did not go well. Um, it was a very hard experience for me, me and my husband. Um, but um, the saving grace there was the lake, Lake Michigan. We lived very close to Lake Michigan. And I just started to talk to the lake um, in the mornings on my drive. Um, it was actually, it was because I was in a course that Maria Menace was leading and at the beginning of the course, we were asked to dedicate ourselves to a being or a thing or something. And I decided to dedicate myself to Lake Michigan. Um, and so I would talk to the lake every morning. And one morning I asked the lake, can you help me find a, a queerness that isn't um, that isn't responsive mm -hmm. you know, to heteronormativity? And the lake said to me, or I heard in my mind, um, your myth isn't in this lake, your myth is this lake. Whoa. And yeah. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, what if the margin, what if, what if the, what if queerness is the, is actually the container that holds everything else, you know, like instead of it being the other way around, um, like what if that is actually the starting place or that is the edge mm -hmm. space, you know, and it just felt incredibly healing to like reframe it in that way. Um, and since then I found tons of other thinkers that have, that, you know, beat me to it long ago, you know, like, which has been wonderful, like, um, to see this idea. I mean, somewhat, uh, Gloria Anzaldúa's teachings on Napantla have been really, really influential on me. Um, also, uh, uh, Quoli Driscoll, who wrote a book called The Segi Stories, which is a Cherokee queer and two-spirit, um, text, talks about, again, that idea of rupture, you know, the place where, um, uh, they talk about gaps in history as being opportunities to kind of write yourself into the narrative, mm. um, you know, in, or in moments where history kind of doesn't really line up or there's just kind of mystery about what happened. That's a place where you can kind of insert yourself. Um, but yeah, just this idea of the margin and, and the idea that, that it's not that I'm saying that being marginalized is not painful. It, it is a painful experience. But it just became interesting to me to think about the power that might lie there too, because if there is anything such as truth, quote unquote, which I don't believe there is, but this, you know, this unspeakable uh, realness or essence or truth, you know, I, I words words fail, and that's what happens at the margin is words fail to me, you know, and and um, you know, but if there is that, like it lies in the most intersectional identity or place, you know, th that is the realness at the margin, um, you know, and that really can only be reached there. And, and like I said, in the moment that we try to voice it, like right now, as I try to tell you about these things, I move away from what it is, you mm -hmm. know, it, it can't be, it can't be spoken, you know? Um, so that's what this conference really is about, is about, um, 
connecting to marginal identity as a very deeply powerful uh, place, you know, that that this liminality and this paradox and this unspeakableness and this this the part of you that doesn't that can't be understood by the world, you know, or that that isn't reflected by centered society, that that's actually the most powerful part of you. Um, and and being um, with other people in that, because it's it's one thing when a centered person says that without the lived experience of what it really is, you know, but it was very important to me to like create a place where everyone there like really gets it, you know, and like really lives in that. And I've never done that before. I've never created a queer um, centric offering, a queer specific offering, but it, it's very, very exciting to me and, and healing. And I really can't wait to just like get in there with everybody else, you know? That was so powerful. Just experiencing you roll through that. Thank you. Yeah. How did it start to formulate in your imagination as a dream? Well, it started with Jonathan and I, um, you know, Jonathan is a queer sibling to me. So I was like, would you want to do a queer offering with me? And we went back and forth on it for a very long time. Um, I mean, Jonathan was all in, it was just about talking about, you know, what it should be and all these things. And um, it was very important to Jonathan to kind of bring in the, um, the narrative, like the reworking of your own story um, and how you can take your queer story and kind of examine it and sort of say, what, what out of this, like, really did I write or, or what, what if my queer story was written for me? You know, mm. what, what if these kind of um, these pieces of me that maybe feel stereotypical, are they real? Like, do I actually like say work all the time, <laughs> you know, like, or is it like, or is the world telling me I do that? Which is a really hard thing that queer people have to go through. Like, you know, what if this is me and what if this is like the world telling me this is me? Um, and eventually Jonathan sort of felt that they wanted to um, kind of make it more of like a, 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 originally we were talking about a longer offering and they wanted to kind of narrow in and kind of bring it into like a one one workshop, one course kind of thing. And once they told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, what if there was a series of them? Like, what if it was a like a conference, you know? And I've done a conference before a couple of years ago that was, um, it was a different kind of theme, but I've done something like this before. And I was like, what, if, maybe it's time to do that again. And this time, maybe it's time to make it, you know, queer centric. And, um, you know, Pride Month is heavily commodified um, by capitalism, but it still is a fun time to be queer, you know, as well. I mean, like it doesn't, it certainly feels nice to like see that, you know, before you walk into a place that you're supposedly supported via the rainbow flag on the outside, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's then, it's then just a strange experience at the end of the month to be like, okay, well, where did all that go? You know, like now, now what happens the rest of the 11 months? But um, I was like, this could be, this could be a space that I could make during pride month, you know, that, that would really be queer centric and, would provide all these different modalities, you know, and it became really important to me that it not just be tarot or astrology, that it try to be, you know, expansive, still mystical, like I use that word, but like, um, you know, there's narrative therapy as part of this. Um, Sophie Strand is doing sort of like an eco mythology, sort of gender rebels um, in, in mythology. Um, there's, you know, art making, there's yoga nidra, and I really want people 
outside of just the magical sphere to attend this. Like I'm, I'm contacting local LGBT resource groups at different academic institutions and just community organizations, you know, because it's not just about that. It's really, it's really just about being queer um, and, and that these are different modalities that you can use to enter back into your own story, you know? Mm-hmm. Tell me this, what for you, how does one know if one is queer or not? Like literally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's a feeling of being different, I guess. Like if I'm taking it as widely as I can. I mean, it reminds me of, that question reminds me of uh, something someone asked me one time about being non-binary and they said, well, does this just mean that all of us are non-binary? And I was like, I mean, yes, in my opinion, yes. But, but also like you and I were saying, like, there's real, there's real societal narratives and stories that we lock into in different ways that work for us at different times, you know? So like, I think everyone's queer really, but it's that thing of like, this is actually a big part of queer theory is if everything is queer, then, then there is no queer. And there's a text called um, Inside Out by Diana Fuss. uh, And she examines this uh, via this kind of knotted line and actually John Binion is how I found out about this in astrology as praxis but um she's saying that like it, you can't have one without the other and the tension of that you know um and my favorite response to that is Jose Esteban Munoz um says we are not yet queer like we will never be queer mm-hmm. you know that that it's always going to be a reaching out because if queerness is always an explosion beyond, then like you can't ever attain that, you know? Yeah. Speaking of edges, like how do you get to those edges? Right. Right. It's in the process. So yeah. And as I asked, because um, in terms of if one's feeling into, I want like, I want to feel the possibility, possibility and ambiguity. I want to feel power and my paradoxes mm-hmm. um does would you say that anyone who has a longing for this is like the, the conference is for them or is it is it not for some people i think that is so tricky because I, and I think about this all the time, especially during Pride Month, because suddenly everybody wants to be painted in rainbows, you know, because mm-hmm. it's because it is fabulous, you know, and it makes me think about a conversation I had with my mom recently, um, where it's like, it just can't be extractive, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's very powerful and very empowering and freeing what queerness teaches us but you have to like I don't know I I hate I hate to hear myself prescribing what must be done I guess as I'm saying this because that feels you know the antithesis of what I'm talking about but 
I guess what I want to say is just that there's some real life ramifications of what it means to be queer on a daily basis. You know, mm-hmm. there are some some dangers, some real dangers, you know, some life or death situations, some legal ramifications, you know, and injustices. And I think that people should really sit with that, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think that they should feel into their own desire to be free. I mean, I think that's what it is to be queer is really to be free. So you should definitely like notice, I, I feel like I want to be free. And then how, what does that mean? Like, how do I live into that in all ways? Um, at all times and none of us are free till all of us are free, you know? Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? You know? Thank you for that, Nick. Those are some deep questions and invitations and they're important. Yeah. Um, how did you come up with the name? Is it, is it inspired by a, a something that exists already, like a book, or did it come from, yeah, I'm curious. Um, I really like alliteration. <laughs> yes, it does do well. <laughs> and um, I knew that I wanted margin in the title, and uh, yeah, and the framing of like that place and I don't know, I think it sounds friendly. Like, I, I mean, I don't have like a deep response for this, but I um, I wanted it to feel like happy and friendly, you know? Um, and I think people coming there, I think most people coming to this, if not all, I think this framing of like the margin will be kind of new, you know? So it was like, meet me, meet me at the margin and let's like feel that and like talk about what that is, you know? Yes, I agree with you on the friendliness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know, um, I don't know if you were with us in in astrology's intellectual practice with progressions, but your progressed moon will be right on your Chiron and Gemini across, across, uh, June. Oh, wow. And I feel like that's really sweet because I feel like what you're offering feels like cut your Chiron in the 11th house. Mm -hmm. Um, like you're kind of holding that uh, for everyone that you're magnetizing to the space. Yeah, I love that. I did not know that. Um, I also am sure that the month will bring up a lot of emotional things for me, um, mm-hmm. but also a lot of healing. I mean, I, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling proud? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll feel proud when it, is in the midst of it. Like right now I'm just feeling, you know, how it is. Like I, I, you know, want as many people to find out about it as I can. Um, and really that's like the most interesting thing to me right now is try, like I said, trying to get people outside of the normal sphere. Um, like I would love for this, I would love for queer people, for this to help queer people discover tarot, discover astrology, discover all these different modalities. Um, but also it's important, I think, to have those different voices. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but um, sometimes we are an echo chamber in the midst of our astrology tarot world. And so I think it will be nice to hopefully have some outside people that don't come 
with that viewpoint um, that can push that can push us, you know, that can keep us in that liminal place so that we don't congeal. Um, yeah, I think, cause I, 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 how do you feel about that? I mean, I feel like we congeal as much as anyone else does really, you know, in the midst of our own Astro soup. Yeah, I feel like um, for, I try to consume from folks outside of astrology mm-hmm. so that I can bring in I can get the zinginess from other disciplines and other modalities and weave them into what the primary thing is that I, I do, but I consider myself very multi-modality. Uh, I've resist the word astrologer. I find it really like not quite me. Mm-hmm. Um, lately I've been saying I speak astrology. I'm a speaker mm-hmm. of astrology <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as I try to find like a way to describe myself, but I, I really love that this conference is so multimodality. I think it's going to make it so much stronger and um, adds and pull in, like you're saying, folks that might not have attended like something if you were doing a, a tarot specific or astro tarot specific. Yeah. And already the people that have signed up are, are people that are brand new to me, which was very cool. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting to see that. Um yeah, and also the the drag and trans um, visibility rate has been the most used, which I'm also really happy about. You know, like obviously I want to like support that community more than anyone else right now in the midst of the legislation that's happening. Um, that's right. Yeah, so very excited about that. Yeah, and it um, the whole thing feels perfect for kicking off at least in Gemini and playing with the ruler of Gemini, Mercury. Mm-hmm. Are you planning to bring Mercury in at all, like in a formal way? Um, I should think about that. Um, yeah, I, I, even though I mentioned Janus, I um, also recoil a little bit from Greek mythology as far as like only, or Greek, Greco-Roman, you know, stories. Like, I just feel like that is overused and I always want to try to push away from that. Um, but it would be interesting to think about, I mean, something that my friend Chanti is leading in the workshop is, um, about creating your own archetypal image and her workshop is actually going to lead people to create their own, like archetype of the margin, an image of the margin, you know? And, um, so something like that, uh, interests me. And also this is reminding me that, uh, I think I might've shared this in astrology as praxis, but I created like an invocation of the margin, um, last year. And so it might be nice to read that at the beginning or, you know, bring that in in some way, or, or maybe lead people to create their own version of that or something like that. That could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really inspired by it. I'm sure it's a lot of work. Um, bringing this into form. Um, like you said earlier, uh, the desire to be like in the midst of not taking form, but in order to pull off a conference, you actually have to take something that's a dream and like make phone calls, have tons of conversations, think so much on something like actually build the web page, like create the pricing the emails, the promo, it's a lot of love, love, love and passion for this. And 
I love watching that. I love, I love someone in the midst of unfurling from that passion place. So this is the kind of promo that gets me super pumped. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel like you, I know that you've talked about like teaching a promo course and I feel like you would be an amazing person to learn from for that. I mean, you like, you've definitely inspired me, you know, seeing how, what you do and how much passion you put into it. Um, and I don't think before you, I ever honestly ever framed promo as like its own creative thing, you know, that it, that it could be a creative place to be in. Um, so that's, that's just been really cool to learn from, from you, you know, and, and you exemplify that, you know, very well. Thank you. Yeah. I like to think, I feel like it, um, helps me like run the spirit of the thing, like through my system Mm -hmm. so that I really get to know it. And, and then I know what kind of relationship I'm in so that when we eventually get to the thing, we've been in this deep courtship and, I feel like it takes me out of the mental space of like overthinking to just trust that if you're just deep in love with this courtship, you'll, you'll know exactly what to say when you get there, because by then it's like so hot through you. Um, yeah, it's true. That feels true. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And also, um, like I told you in preparation for today, um, the questions that people ask are also really helpful, you know, for me, like, um, like what isn't clear, not just about what the offering is going to be, but, but like the themes or, you know, like all of that really helps clarify what the offering actually ends up becoming. Um, so yeah, I to- I totally agree. I just had never really thought about it like that. It just kind of had always been like, well, this is what I have to do to like make this happen, you know, but it's like, <laughs> yes. no, it can be more than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It can be very mystical and sexy. Yeah. Um, and usually by the time I get to the thing, I wish I could just totally rewrite the sales page because it's right. like, I didn't even really know what it was when I first put it up, you know, and now that I'm through the promo, I actually know, I think I have an idea of what this is. I mean, you, you never really know till you're on the other side. Right. But um, do you see this being something you might want to put out again or just have to wait till you get through it first? Yeah, I think, I think we'll wait and see. I mean, I definitely, I could see it being that. Um, but the conference I did a couple of years ago, I also had originally intended to be that. And then just life gets in the way, you know? So I, I definitely, um, it's very important to me to compensate facilitators, you know, as well as I possibly can. So this is definitely not an offering that I benefit from financially in any way. Um, so, and that's fine. I mean, I'm, I am really happy to, to create this space for this community. Um, it just means, you know, we'll have to kind of see if it ends up being something that I'm just, you know, able to, to keep doing. Um, but yeah, I'm just super excited by it. I mean, and I guess I would love to know um, if there's anything, if there is anything about it that you, um, that does feel still like you have a question or, is unclear. I mean, we've talked a lot, but I I would love to hear if there's like any part of it that you, that is still a question for you in any way. I mean, I feel like so far the way that you have described it feels very clear. My, my main question was, is this a place I'm invited, you know, which is why I asked the question about um, wanting to understand, do I fit into queer people 
I feel like I've, I'm, I don't identify broadly as queer, but I'm very queer inspired and nice. queer. Um, uh, like qu queer, um, like this is the community where I've always, that I've always turned to, to help me like feel empowered, like give mm -hmm. me the, this is like the community that since grad school days, like 20 years ago, practically, I have been turning to for new words, new theories, new ways of speaking things that just like blow me open so that I can feel less confined by the boxes I feel myself in, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's, it's interesting to play on to play on like where the ambiguities of just the word and like who belongs to it and who doesn't belong to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that it's complicated and that different people will all have different answers to that. Um, well, you but, know what I appreciate about that mm -hmm. is you are someone that speaks a lot about boundaries. And so I wonder how it feels to you that queerness could have boundaries like, how does that feel? Everything having boundaries is part of its um, sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in like, almost like I can see if there is a boundary, what it's like to touch it and what it's like to let yourself not be on one side or the other, mm -hmm. but be able to kind of like, am I allowed to like hug myself against the boundary to, to respect it and to be humbled by it and to learn from it, even if I may not fit on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to insist on my inclusion, if that makes sense. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And yet I feel um, just so deeply grateful from everything that I've learned from those who speak from the other side of that boundary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does that feel to you? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think that queerness doesn't have boundaries. And I think that I don't want to give an answer in the spirit of queerness, <laughs> you know, as far <laughs> as like, like, I, I think that, um, yeah, I think I just want to leave it open and I don't think yeah I think I just want to leave it open for people um because that feels like the queerest thing that I can do you know yes <laughs> cheers to that one day recently sorry one day recently oh yeah I had this thought of um that maybe the queerest thing I can do is not know what the F I'm talking about. <laughs> and I, I do think that's really true. Like, I think, um, yeah, that maybe that, that again, that place of like complete liminality, like that's the queerest thing I can do is just like, not, not know, you know? Mm -hmm. That is very liberating. Yeah. For me, that kind of attitude 
really helps relax the manager parts of me that think if I don't figure it out or get to answers that I don't get to be here or that I don't belong or no one's going to want to hear what I have to say. Um, like surrender to not knowing is just so helpful for relaxing those parts. And then you can just play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to have some answers or you have to step into the centered field, you know, and state something, you know, like sometimes that is needed, but I think it's, I try, I do not do this by any means successfully, but I'm, I am trying to, simultaneously feel into the fact that when I do that, I move away from the margin, you know, like, mm. like, and, and that as I state this like fact that, you know, that's not, that's not the margin, you know, and that's really tricky because I, I, there's a lot of danger and I think the margin it is dangerous, you know, like, um, and people take advantage of that. And I think that's important to state, you know, like that you can really take advantage of the margin and the liminalness, you know, and the, and the mushiness, like as delicious as it can feel, it can simultaneously be very, very dangerous. Um, so, but that's what it is. It is that kind of edge living on that edge place, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you, it's just making me think of another question. How do you, okay. What I'm noticing is some part of me is seeing a binary between center and margin. Mm -hmm. How do you work with creating a third, like keeping the margin a third, I guess mm -hmm. is what I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I suppose that in order for, so I'm just thinking, cause I'm, I'm thinking into, I like to think about this kind of question so that we have the center and then we have like the out, the outside and something that's not center or non-center is like a different location. I guess. And like trying to keep the margin feeling like a different location. So like, I think also not getting married to the visual of like the circle. One way that I, one way that I picture the margin could be the atmosphere of the earth, but another way to picture the margin could be that fence in the field. Um, another way to picture the margin could be ecotones where cold ocean meets temperate forest and like life flourishes. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's also the margin. Um, our skin, the port, the actual porousness of our skin, even though we feel like it's very solid, it's not, you know, like that's a margin. Um, the fusion of like a, a, a steel plate in like your spine and like becoming a cyborg, which we really are all cyborgs with our phones and, you know, everything else, like that's a marginal place. Um, you know, there's lots of different visuals. So not getting locked into like one visual representation is maybe helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited for everyone who gets to experience it. I'm excited for all the 
the speakers. It must be fun for everyone to be working on their projects and thinking about their presentations and yeah, can I just kind of announce everybody that's participating? Yes, I would love to just, please do yeah. that. So, so the classes, I'll just kind of just talk about the different courses. So um, uh, Elias Lallier, who's the gender doula, is doing a course on exploring gender through snake medicine, um, which is very cool. Actually, this coming week, there's an episode of In Search of Tarot coming out um, where we talk about that. Um, Sophie Strand, as I mentioned, is doing Rebels of Gender, Myth, and Ecology. Um, Charlie Claire Burgess, who created the Fifth Spirit Tarot deck, who I adore, um, is doing tarot as a tool for non-binary thinking. Um, Jason Perez is teaching uh, on Gloria Anzaldúa, who I mentioned earlier. Um, we're doing a course on um, narrative therapy with Amy DiGennaro. Um, Jonathan's doing marginal astrology. My friend Chanti Takaranto Perez, who I mentioned earlier, is doing resting yoga nidra and creating um, archetypal images of the margin. And then Edgar Fabian Frias is doing tactile and spontaneous divination. Um, so lots of different, lots of different things. Um, and this runs, uh, opens June 4th and runs all the way through June 28th, every Wednesday and Sunday of the month. Will there be like a virtual social space for chatting and things like that? We actually, yeah. So we're, I, 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 I'm still playing with the idea of having a, an outside like chat function in the way that we have in astrology as praxis. Um, we probably will have that because I've tended to have that in my courses recently. But in addition to that, um, Wednesday, June 21st is the solstice. And on that night after Jonathan's class, there'll be an optional, um, hang where all the facilitators and all the participants can just kind of be in community with each other. And I'm probably looking forward to that the most, honestly, to just like, <laughs> to just hang out and talk and um, just, yeah, I mean, I just really want to provide space of community for, for, you know, all my fellow marginals. Um, so it's just, I'm just very excited about that. Yeah, it really feels like um, something that could be uh, put into book form, like pub something that could be published. Um, I have been working on a book about the margin for two years now that maybe one day I'll actually publish. I'm, I'm looking for an agent right now, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started was a book. And then I was like, well, maybe I should do a course or maybe I should do like a conference, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that you will also learn so much from putting it on, from listening to your uh, invited speakers mm -hmm. and then from from the community as they respond to it and they ask questions and they want, they want to talk about certain things that maybe you weren't even thinking that would be like the key things. Yeah. So. And that's, that's something I want to say too, for people that might be listening and thinking about doing it for me, when I create learning spaces, that is always top of mind for me. And I've realized that just for me, this isn't a right or wrong, but for me, I think I feel the safest when when people are constantly questioning, I think I get very uncomfortable when things start to feel very still. Um, and, and for some people that feels the opposite, that feels safe, you know, to be in a place of being held. And I totally understand that. Um, but for me, there's a danger that starts to creep up when there isn't enough questioning. And so for anyone that's ever thinking about 
working with me or learning from me know that that's the kind of environment that I really try to encourage and create, you know? Mm, thank you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you or that you haven't named yet that is important to you to name before we close? I don't think so. I mean, I, I just want to say that I kind of, I do feel emotional talking about this because it does really matter to me. Um, I'm very grateful to you for giving me this platform to speak on about this. Um, and for you, for being my teacher, you know, and creating the space in astrology as praxis. Um, but um, yeah, it, it really matters. And there's a lot of really tough things happening right now with our legislative system with this group of people um and i'm i'm back living in the south now so i'm feeling it more acutely than i was you know before in milwaukee or, or certainly in new york um so i really just want to give all my queers a hug <laughs> you know like i just really want to send my love out to to this community um because I agree with you, it is very um, empowering and inspiring, and yet we are constantly pushed down. You know, we are we are extracted from and then pushed aside. Um, and this is trying to center that marginal experience. You know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on Moon to Moon, Nick. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for sharing yourself with Moon to Moon. Thank you for listening to the passions and the questions that are alive in you. Thank you for living those questions. Thank you for your willingness to have complicated conversations about topics that don't have clear answers. I absolutely love it and I'm cheering you on as you facilitate and hold Meet Me at the Margin. Sending lots of love and well wishes to all of the teachers and guides who are constellating around the space and to the participants and the registrants who are gathering to learn together, to laugh together to play in the space of ambiguity and paradox that you're creating, Nick. Moon to Moon listeners, I'm encouraging you to go check it out. If this conference is resonating with you, connect with Nick to continue questions and discussions. And if you feel called, I would love it if you would consider donating to Meet Me at the Margin to support tuition assistance 
so that this experience can be accessible to everyone who feels called to it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and I will see you next time.